believe in God, but, and I told you I, I've talked to people on a regular basis who say, well, I believe there is a God, but I have these big questions of how does God still allow evil to happen in this world? If God is good and loving and kind and compassionate, then, then how does He stand and allow things to still happen? Because if, if you're honest, you, you see things in the world and you ask the question of God, where are you in this? If we see this evil, if we see what's going on, how can you allow this to continue to happen? And why don't you step in and stop it? How could God allow this to happen? And so last week what we had kind of came to was this point where we said the line of good and evil we often think is between us and them. Because as we can label them wrong and us right, or them evil and us good, it allows us to separate ourselves from them. And to not see in them the humanity that is in us. The sinfulness that is in us. And it becomes us versus them. And we said last week, In reality, the line of good and evil does not run between us and them, but it runs through the heart of each and every one of us. That, That every day we are faced with decisions that either pull us away from God or that draw us towards Him, that pull us to Him. And we we have those decisions, and there's not an us versus them mentality in this world. It's all of us. We're all in this together. All of humanity is searching and trying to make sense of the mess that we find ourselves in. People are searching. And that's that's one of the things that, that I hope you realize. Like we, we say that it's so difficult today. Because people are turned off to the idea of God. No, they aren't. They're trying to answer the same questions you are. And they are hurting and they are searching. And the door is probably more open than it's ever been. But the conversation cannot begin with you're right and we're wrong. It has to begin from a place of we're all in this together. And we're willing to sit down and have a conversation. We're willing to sit down and talk because we don't have it all figured out as much as we want to think we do. And so we ask that question, well, okay, God, what are you doing about the problem of evil? Or what have you done about the problem of evil? And this week I want to kind of look at the Old Testament to to see what God has done, but not just what He has done about the problem of evil, what He is still doing about the problem of evil. So I want to invite you to Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we don't get a lot of explanation early on as to what that blessing is going to look like. We don't get a a big picture of here's what it's going to look like. All Abraham knows is that God is beginning this new tribe of people. And the purpose of this new tribe is not going to be just to simply take care of themselves and make sure they are okay. But the purpose of this new tribe of people is going to be to bless the world. That all peoples on earth will be blessed through this new tribe, this new group of people that is going to go out into the world. And so, the question is, how did we get to this point in the story? If you're not real familiar with all the books of the Bible, um, I'm going to teach you in order to the point we are. Genesis. That's it. The, the story begins in Genesis. And by chapter 12, it seems like God has gotten to this point. He says, okay, okay, here's the solution. We're going to bring this new group of people. We're going to set them apart from everyone else. We're going to make them different. And they're going to go out into this world. And they're going to bless the world. That's going to be their purpose. That's going to be their calling. That's going to be why they exist. I'm going to pull them out of this people group. I'm going to set them apart, and they're going to go out into this world, and they're going to bless this world. That is why they exist. That is their purpose. That is their reason for being. And I want to begin there by looking back at how we got there. How is it at this point in the story, just 12 chapters in, that God is setting these people apart and calling them out and making them different. And to do that, I want to look back at three stories that happen leading up to this. There's the Babel story. There's the flood story. And there's the story of forbidden fruit. And I want to just kind of go and work backwards through those stories. So if you have your Bible and following along, it would be really helpful this morning. Um, Flipping back to chapter 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, and and understand, when this term comes up, it is the the definition of moving away from God. When, When man and woman are out of the garden, they're placed on the east side. And the continual movement east of Eden is this um, analogy, this, this picture of moving further and further and further away from God. And early in the story of Genesis, you're going to continue to hear this idea of moving eastward. That they're moving eastward away from the presence of God. As the people moved eastward, they found the plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. 
They use bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. These people come to a place where they said, yeah, we've been making these towers, we've been making buildings out of stones, but stones are kind of, they're round and they're hard to stack and you can't do anything really big with them. And so they come up with this new invention. We're going to make these bricks, and these bricks can be stacked. And with this new invention, we're going to stack them as high as we can, and we're going to make a tower. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Now listen, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Like, there is a reason we're going to do, there's a reason we exist. And our reason that we exist is to set ourselves apart and to stand out. We want to be known. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to stand out above everyone else, and we want to be set apart. That is why we are going to exist. We're going to make a name for ourselves. Everyone's going to know who we are. They're going to remember us. And the very thing they're trying to avoid, being scattered over the whole earth, is going to be the very result of their pursuit of making a name for themselves. They are going to be scattered. They are going to become wanderers. They are going to be searching for identity. And what we see in the story of Babel is this selfishness and arrogance that begins to pop up. That we're about us, and we're about taking care of ourselves, and we want to make a name for ourselves. And what we see is the result, the fruit of their labor, the fruit of their work, is this selfishness and arrogance. And so you have the question. Because if you don't know how the story ends, God takes the people and he scatters them. And he changes their language so that they can't do this together. So that they can't be selfish and angry. And you ask the question, well, God, what are you doing about evil? And I think stories like this show us what God does with evil as he confronts it. He judges it. And he stops it from having its desired effect. Here's what we want to do. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be great in the eyes of everyone. And God confronts it. He judges it. And He stops it from having its desired effect. When we talk about judgment... One of the things I think you'll see throughout Scripture is there are times when God's judgment comes from very much a physical interaction with people where he stops it, like in terms of the flood. But many times, God's judgment comes through the natural results of our disobedience. It's the little kid when he's pulling on the cord of the TV and the dad says, don't do it, don't do it, and he keeps pulling And finally, the TV falls off and hits him on the head. 
And dad says, well, told you not to do it. <clears throat> told you not to do it. That hurt, didn't it? Probably shouldn't do that. And if you remember back to the story, there, there was this original setting where God says, here's this tree that you can't eat of, and the result if you eat it is going to be death. And I think we see it in each of these stories. God judges or confronts it, he judges it, and he stops it from having its desired effect. And then going back a little further in the story to Genesis chapter 6, the story of the flood. Starting in verse 5. The Lord saw how great wickedness of the human race, the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of their thoughts and the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. God regrets what he has made. And his heart was deeply troubled. And so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created with them, the animals, the birds, the creatures that are moving along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Skipping down to verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and it was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth were corrupt, had corrupted their ways. And so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. And I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And in this, this story, we see creation going in the wrong direction. As it's moved eastward, as it's continued to move away from the presence of God, away from community with Him, away from oneness with Him, we see corruption and we see wickedness spring up. And the result of it is this violence. And it says God is grieved. He's grieved because He hates seeing His good creation going in the direction of death. He, he created people to have life and to have community with Him. And now they find themselves in this broken and hurting world. And not only are they not trying to fix it, they're contributing to the problem and they're making it worse. And God looks into this group of people that's become corrupt and wicked. And he says, there's this one righteous, this one who's, blame, who's trying to move creation in a good way. I'm going to allow him to continue on. And so the flood is not only a story of judgment, but it's also a story of redemption. It's a story of grace. It's a story of hope and restoration. So what is God doing about the problem of evil in the story? Again, He's confronting it, he's judging it, and he's stopping it from having its desired effect. There's a shelf life to it. There's, there's only so much evil can do because it will eventually run its course. Then going 
back a little further, we come to Genesis chapter 3. Starting in verse 6, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. There's this moment of awareness of who they are. This moment of awareness that they are different. They were one. They were in community with with God. They were in community with one another. And now they see each other as different. Things don't look the same on you as they do me. And God is different from us. And we don't have this community. We don't have this relationship. We're broken and it's fractured. And now instead of this oneness, they see this otherness. They see another person instead of this oneness that God intended. The man then and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And maybe one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This God that called them to relationship with himself, who created them for that purpose, are now hiding from him and have been hiding ever since. Trying to cover up and disguise who we are and what we struggle with so that we're not seen by everyone else. And he said, verse 11, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. And in the story, we see rebellion. Here's what God says. This is what your life is supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to be. Just avoid this one tree. And they rebel against their creator. They rebel against their purpose. And when they do, they start blaming one another. Well, it wasn't my fault. It was the woman you put here with me. It wasn't my fault. It was the serpent that deceived me. And now where they were one, they see another person that they're pointing the finger at. It's their fault. I mean, we don't see that in our world today or anything, right? Well, I mean, if, if that group of people would get their politics right, everything would be okay. And you see rebellion... And you see blame. And the result is they're put outside of the garden, outside of community with God. And God places them on the east side of the garden. And a story pops up just on the other side of the garden. 
as Adam and Eve start having children, and this sibling rivalry begins. These siblings begin looking at each other differently. Now Cain, verse 8, had said to his brother, let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? I don't know, he replied. Am I your, my brother's keeper? They, they find themselves on the outside of the garden looking in, and they both offer these sacrifices, and Cain is jealous of his brother, and so he kills him. And the result is now you're going to be a wanderer. Now you're not going to have a home. Now you're going to be searching. And in verse 16, he says, So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. You, you see this continual march away from God to get further and further from the garden. And in the story, you see jealousy and anger reach its heights. And the result is Cain is going to become a wanderer and now going to be watching his back because he's afraid that someone might come to take revenge. And then we see this string unfold where Adam's descendants die. Where they were created to have life. But the very sin that had risen up in them had created this world where darkness and death, dust and despair now hung over it and cast an ugly shadow. This was the new world where thorns and thistles came up from the ground. This was the world they had created. But it was not the world they were called to create. They had an original purpose to care for the ground, to take care of God's good creation. And when they rebelled and when they did their own thing, they found themselves in a world of death and despair and hopelessness, searching for meaning and searching for answers and asking, God, why do you allow this to happen? God, where are you when someone dies? God, where are you in the earthquake? God, where are you in death and cancer? Where are you in divorce? Where are you in disease? Where are you when people are hurting and broken and searching and needing hope and help? I think God looks down and says, this is not the world I created. This is the world you created. See, because selfishness and arrogance and corruption and wickedness and rebellion and blame and jealousy and anger, it cast this ugly shadow of death. And it was the very thing God promised from the beginning. Here is this beautiful creation. It is good, and it is right, and it is all yours. 
enjoy it, live in it, eat from its fruit. But this one tree, the knowledge of good, if you eat it, you're going to die. And I just have to ask, do you see how true that promise is? If you eat of it, here's the fruit that's going to come out of your life. Selfishness and arrogance and corruption and wickedness and rebellion and blame and jealousy and anger. And if you eat of this fruit, the result is going to be death and there's no way around it. And see, death took on various forms. For Adam and Eve, it's exile. For Cain, it's wandering. For Noah and his generation, it's a flood. For Babel, it's confusion and dispersion. See, this was the world they had created. This is the world they brought into being. It was not the world that it was intended to be, but it was the world they were stuck in and stuck with. And God reaches into that group of people. Understand this. He reaches into that group of people who created this world and says, I'm going to set you apart and I'm going to make you different than everyone else. Here is the solution. I have a new way. I'm going to set this group apart from everyone else. And they are going to bless all peoples on this earth. That is their calling. That is their purpose. It was just as it was intended in the beginning. Here is what you're going to do. Here is what you're going to create. It's a new way for creation to move forward towards its original purpose of blessing. And in this new world, blessing will replace curses. In this new world, homecoming will replace exile. In this new world, there will be olive branches that appear after the flood. In this new world, there's going to be a new family created, uniting these scattered languages. But you get the sense that for God to accomplish this, it's going to be enormously costly. For, for God to step into this world the way it was recreated. Go back to that, Dustin. Of selfishness and arrogance and corruption and wickedness and rebellion and blame and jealousy and anger. For God to step in and change this to recreate, to bring a new creation in the midst of this one that's decaying and falling apart, it's going to cost him immensely. So here are these people, these set-apart people. They are the solution to the problem. But what do you do when the solution to the problem is also part of the problem. 
because he begins this new tribe of people. And he sets them apart and he says, you are going to be called Israel. You're going to be different than everyone else. But yet, in their difference, we still see selfishness and arrogance and corruption and wickedness and rebellion and blame and jealousy and anger. And all of it keeps being spewed out over creation. The very people that were called to reverse this are now contributing to the problem. They're not making it better. They're making it worse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul kind of lays out, like, this is what the gospel is throughout the chapter. But he begins by saying, for I have received, or for what I have received, I passed on to you, that when Christ was betrayed, he died for our sins according to the Scripture." That what Christ did was he died for our sins, just as it was written. But one of the things I want you to understand is it was not just for, as in this esoteric, lofty, theological concept of eradicating it. But it was because of it. It wasn't just for your sins that Jesus died. It's also for in the sense it was because of the, the, the very thing that put Jesus on the cross was selfishness and arrogance and corruption and wickedness and rebellion and blame and jealousy and anger. That's why he dies. That's why he finds himself on the cross. And these set-apart people, these people that were supposed to be different, came out of a people that were wicked and had created this alternative world. And Abraham struggles to trust God's promises. Jacob is a deceiver. Moses at times is rebellious. David falls into sexual sin. Job is bitter. The very people that were supposed to be set apart and supposed to be different are now a part of the problem. And the question, God, how, how could you allow this to happen? How, how could you let creation go in this direction? And I think God stands back and says, this is not the world as I created it. This is the world that we have created. And I understand that us versus them is helpful and it lets us rationalize and justify our answers, but we're part of the problem too. And yet in the midst of the story as it unfolds, there is one that stands blameless and righteous and perfect. And Isaiah has talked about 
for the first half of his book, this world that they had created and how God was judging it. And in the midst of this creation that was falling apart, he points to this suffering servant, this one that was perfect and right. And he says, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. And we considered him punished by God. But it wasn't just punished by God, it was punished by us. He's bearing the weight of what we have created. He's bearing the weight of our world. The world that we've created. And he says he was pierced for our transgressions. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, by his wounds, we are healed. See, here's the deal. You have to understand where the story begins and what our part is in the story so that we fully hear next week the good news of the gospel. In Christ. Because Isaiah leaves us with this picture, this unnamed suffering servant. And he says, by his wounds, by his wounds, you are healed. I wonder what world, what world we are creating. And what world we're contributing to. What world we're trying to be a part of. Because just as that original group, that Israel called, set apart tribe, has gone out into the world, that has become the church. And God's plan was not for us to set ourselves up and point out us versus them. But it was to be different and set apart in order to bless. To reach into a world that is broken and hurting and say, I understand where you are because we've all been contributing to this problem. But let's talk about what Jesus has done to heal and restore that broken creation. Let's understand that, that it's not through our wounds that we bring healing. It's through his wounds that we bring healing. It's not through our suffering that we bring healing. It's through his And then he calls you, as you follow him, to enter into his life. To bring restoration and healing. Not just to you, but to the whole world. Father, today. Father, we understand that so many times we, your people, called to be set apart, called to be different, 
contribute to the problem. And Father, we pray that you would give us new eyes. New eyes to see this world that you brought into being through death, burial, and resurrection. New life that has begun and you have called us to. And that's what repentance is. It's to leave the evil that we want to follow and, Father, follow you into life. And, Father, we pray in you, through Jesus, as we are clothed in him, as our past sins are washed away, as your spirit begins to dwell in us and give us life, Father, that we would see ourselves as the solution to the problem and we would leave behind our evil ways in which we contribute to it. And Father, we find our hope in Christ and Christ alone and in no one else. Father, may we trust fully and completely in the gospel that has the power to save us. Father, that we would not be ashamed of it. That it is the power of Christ for the redemption of this world. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the punishment that we inflicted. And for his broken body that brings us peace. And the hope that we have that by his stripes we are healed. Father, may we trust more today than we did yesterday. And may we join you in creating your new heaven and new earth. And Father, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. If you've never given your life to Christ and entered into baptism, clothing yourself in Him, we offer you that invitation this morning. Um, if we could simply pray for you wherever you are, we're going to have shepherds, ministry staff around the back of the auditorium. Um, whatever we can do, we want to help you in your journey. So come while we stand and we sing. When we walk with the Lord.